Hey church, thanks for joining me for another message today. For those of you who call Horizon home, uh, we're so glad that you've, ch- you've tuned in, that you've set aside some time to get into the, the Word of God with us. Uh, we want you to know that we're praying for you. We're believing that God is working in your heart and in your family in this season. For those perhaps who um, don't know much about Horizon Church, but you've stumbled across uh, this message, perhaps a friend of yours has shared it on social media, or you've stumbled across it on YouTube or on the church website, we'd love to hear from you. So why don't you reach out to us? You can um, email us through the church website. You can uh, reach out through one of our uh, social media um, platforms. We'd love to hear from you. We are into week 11 of our series, A Blueprint for Living Faith, as we work through the book of James. And I've been loving this series. I don't know about you. I hope you have. And we've heard from many of you that this has been a series that has spoken to you and that has challenged you. Um, and we are, we are so excited. We've only got a couple of weeks ahead of us as we round out the book. As you'd know, if you've been uh, watching along in previous weeks, we are into chapter five. And we're going to um, work through the next section of the book today. But before we do that, I want to take you back to last week. Um, hopefully you are able to see Pastor James's message. Uh, it was a fantastic message as he led us through the first six verses of James chapter five. But if uh, perhaps the week's been a big week for you and you can't quite remember, or perhaps you didn't see it last week, there's this really important thing because the context of what we're going to look at today is found in those opening verses. If you've got time, go and watch Pastor James's message to remind yourself of that. But in summary, what we saw was that James was uh, sharing this warning uh, to the wealthy. He spoke some really, really uh, fairly frank and fairly direct words in his opening comments in chapter 5. And what was happening was uh, the, the, he was warning the wealthy that, that they were um, uh, gaining wealth and amassing wealth and accumulating lots of stuff, but they were doing it off the back of other people. And so what they were doing was they weren't paying the workers They were um, uh, reaping uh, wealth uh, by dealing in sin. They were uh, killing and and, um, cheating and robbing um, the others. And what James, he does is he writes this really strong warning to them. But then we get to uh, verse 7 and James changes tack. He starts to write not to the wealthy, but he starts to write again to his brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, they were watching on and they were looking on as the wealthy around them uh, managed to seemingly thrive and prosper, even though they were so immersed in this sinful and horrible lifestyle of robbing and cheating others. I wonder if you can see the injustice of it, too. Because I know if that was me, I'd be saying things like, why is it that people who choose to live in sin seem to prosper? Why are they getting away with it? Why are they robbing and killing and accumulating uh, wealth? And why is God not doing anything? And James writes to this. He writes about this deep, deep injustice. 
but he gives us some real insight into how we can live with that. And I want to say to you today, it's probably not the situation you're in. You're probably not a persecuted, scattered Christian who is living in deep poverty, under threat for your life, uh, while people around you uh, rob and steal and, and just accumulate wealth. It's probably not really our situation. But what I would say is that undoubtedly you, at neither now, in the past, or unfortunately, probably in the future, are going to have to deal with injustice. You are going to see things occur which seem so deeply wrong. Perhaps it's going to affect loved ones. Perhaps it's going to affect you. And James really, really implores us to deal with it, to respond to injustice, to respond to those troubles in a very specific way. And so if you've got your Bible at home, would you turn with me to James chapter 5 and verse 7. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. We see in this section of text, these three verses, that James speaks specifically about three responses that we tend to show towards injustice. Let's work through them. And I want you to, um, as difficult as it might be, as uncomfortable as it might make you, I want you to uh, carefully examine yourself as we do this and, and wonder whether maybe this is the way that you tend to respond to injustice. Let's, let's work through them. So number one, when we see injustice, we tend to lack patience. In the face of injustice, it's so easy, like I was saying a moment ago, to say, God, where are you? God, why are you allowing this to happen? And in our impatience, rather than letting God's plan and purpose come to pass, rather than trusting that he will prevail in that time and in that season and in his time and season, we, we decide out of impatience that we need to act and we need to do something about it. So rather than being patient, we tend to respond to injustice with impatience. The second thing that we tend to do when we see injustice is that we become faint-hearted. I wonder if you saw that in verse 8, that James said to his brothers and sisters in Christ, take courage. One of the things that we see when we see injustice is a huge imbalance between the powerful and the weak. And it's so easy if in that imbalance you are one that doesn't have the authority, that doesn't have the power, that seems to be um, tossed at the, the whims of other people. And that can be really hard. And in that, it's so easy to lose courage and to become faint-hearted. It's so easy to let fear um, and to let the, the worry and the, and the concern of that rule your life. But James says in the face of injustice, take heart. Be courageous. The third response that we often see for um, times where we face injustice is that we become a grumbler. He mentioned that, and I love that word, a grumbler, because how real is it? You know, the Bible is so real. It, it talks in a way that uh, we can connect with. Because I wonder when you're facing impatience, whether you begin to grumble. 
Grumbling doesn't mean um, pointing out things that are wrong. It doesn't mean speaking up for, um, in, uh, for, for injustice. It doesn't mean advocating uh, for the weak and the powerless. By all means, we are called to do those things. But you'll notice what James says about grumbling. And I want you to have a look at that. He says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. That's interesting, isn't it? Because in this context, James is speaking about issues in the church. He's talking about injustice that is seen outside. People who aren't following Christ. And yet the injustice of it is affecting Christians. And yet his warning is not, don't grumble about those that are carrying out injustice. Don't grumble about those that are in power and those that are doing the wrong thing. He says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters. It's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, it actually fits our lives. I wonder uh, for you, and, and this is a hard thing again to consider in your own life, but I wonder when things are going wrong, when you're facing trouble and trial and when you're facing injustice, I wonder who you turn on. I wonder who you become short-tempered with. I wonder who you become so easily frustrated with. And more often than not, it's the ones who are closest to us, isn't it? It's the one, perhaps it's your spouse or a family member. Perhaps it's, it's someone in your, your small group or your church community. It's so easy for us in those times to start to grumble about each other, to take our frustration, to take our hurt and to take our burdens out on other people. And so today I want us to work through this passage because James doesn't just say, Here's how not to respond. He says, here's how to respond. And he gives us two ways that we should respond in the face of injustice. And we're going to work through just the first one today. You'll have to tune in next Sunday for us to work through the second one. And it is an incredible thing. And I, I would encourage you to make sure you tune in. But the first one we're going to look at today comes out of that passage. I wonder if you saw it. Because he says here in verse 7 to be patient while we wait for the Lord's return. And it's a pattern that he picks up over the next couple of verses because he says in verse 8, take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. And in verse 9, he says, for look, the judge is standing at the door. And I wonder if you hear that and you go, well, what's remarkable about that? Yes, I heard it, but I don't know how that is you know, countercultural or, or remarkable. I'd say this to you, that those of us who have been Christians for quite a while, we would know that the promised return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, um, is just part of what we believe, isn't it? But I wonder if it's actually reflected, that belief is reflected in our lives. I wonder when the last time you thought about this, um, this truth, I wonder when that was. Perhaps for some of you who are fairly new to faith, you're hearing about this for the first time and you're wondering about well, what does this mean? And again, I'd encourage you, jump into the Alpha course or reach out to us and we can talk to you about that. But it's this key concept that comes that Christ promises that he will return. It's this prophesied return that we can be confident in because just as the Messiah was promised throughout the Old Testament and just as Jesus came and lived and died and rose from the dead to set us free, so is he promised to come again. But I'd say that that whole concept, apart from the idea of a Messiah, apart from the idea of being saved from your sins, the idea that Christ will return again is so countercultural. And let me take you through why I think that is. 
About 60 years ago, C.S. Lewis, this great thinker, this theologian, this Christian author, um, you might have seen some of his works. He said this, The doctrine of the second coming is deeply uncongenial to the whole evolutionary or developmental character of modern thought. We've been taught to think of the world as something that grows slowly towards perfection, something that progresses or evolves. Christianity offers no such hope. It does not even foretell a gradual decay. It foretells a sudden, violent end imposed from without, an extinguisher popped onto the candle, a brick flung at the gramophone. You can see this was 60 years ago. Substitute that for your iPhone. A brick flung at your iPhone. A curtain rung down on the play. Halt. C.S. Lewis had a way of putting things, didn't he? And while he was writing 60 years ago, I would say to you that those couple of um, dominant kind of ideas about where we're headed as humans are still evident today. The first thing that he pointed out was this idea that we're on this slow descent, this slow decline, that uh, things are, are gradually falling apart. And one day, uh, far, far into the future, kind of will just cease to exist. But the other thought that, and I think this is perhaps maybe more where we are as a society, is that we're actually on this slow march towards perfection. That as science and technology advances, as we become um, ruler over more and more diseases and able to cure things and, and, and live for longer and, and technology advances to give us all the things that we want, that we kind of perceive that one day in the far future that it'll be almost utopian, that things will be perfect. But James speaks to us and he says, don't take confidence in either of those things. Don't take confidence um, that, well, you know, uh, at one point in the future, it's all not going to be here anyway, or, or at some point it's all going to be perfect. He says, don't take confidence in that, but rather take confidence that Jesus is going to return. And he says this, that we should be patient in the face of injustice. I wonder about you, but for quite a long time when I would read a passage like this, I would think almost that I just had to try a bit harder to be patient, that I had to not let injustice or, or troubles or trials affect me. But I want to challenge that thinking today because James by no means is giving a Christian equivalent of just, you know, suck it up. He's not saying, oh, just try not to let it get to you. Just try to take a deep breath and get on with life. In fact, he's challenging us that in the face of injustice, in the face of adversity, to adopt a new perspective, to replace our thinking with uh, the truth of Christ's return. He's telling us to live now in the light of a future reality that Christ is returning. And when we think about that, what should that remind us of? Firstly, it should remind us that God is holy and God is just. And he's not going to let injustice go unpunished. In fact, all of us are going to have to account for the things that we've done. And, and that should, I guess, make give us reason to pause, but it should also give you a sense of courage. That those who are wicked, those who are leading injustice are not going to just get off scot-free while they uh, look like they are prospering now, that they are accumulating, that they are living free of the consequences of their decisions, that there is coming a time where all of us will have to give answer for the ways that we've lived. And God is just. 
and he is righteous and he will hold them to account for those things. But the second thing it should remind us of and take courage and encouragement from this, that when we've received him as our Lord and Savior, when we've accepted Christ's sovereignty over our lives, that we should live in this confident hope of the life that we will step into when he returns, that he will make all things new. And so I'd encourage you in that. I want to ask you a couple of questions as we finish today, as we wrap up this idea of dealing with injustice in the light of Christ's coming return. I want to challenge you with a couple of things. The first thing I want you to ask yourself this week is how do I respond to injustice? Is injustice something that makes you angry? Do you kind of lose control? Do you lose a sense of um, a perspective? Do you start to make choices that maybe don't reflect the choices you'd want to make? Because injustice really, really gets to you. I want to uh, also ask you this because I've met plenty of uh, Christians who for years and years and years have carried the burden of past injustice. And if that's you today, I really want to, um, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. You know, like I said before, James isn't saying just suck it up. He's not saying that at all. But he also doesn't want that injustice to be a burden on your life. He doesn't want it to rob you of the things that God has in store of you. He doesn't want it to stop you from stepping into your purpose. And so I'd encourage you today, why don't you challenge yourself and think, how do I respond to injustice? Because if you are carrying things, if you're carrying the burden of the past, I want to encourage you to replace that with the promise of the coming Messiah, that he will make all things new, that he will deal with those things uh, where, where you perhaps uh, are feeling like things have not been dealt with, that that will be dealt with, that people will be called to account. And you can step out of that now. You can step into the free life that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit in knowing the truth of Scripture. You can step out of the burden of carrying that past hurt that past injustice. The second question I want you to ask yourself today is do I view Christ's return as reality or have I adopted the world's thinking? Well, that's a challenging thing for us to ask ourselves, isn't it? Because I think the default answer for all of us who are Christians is to say, well, of course I believe in Christ's return. But I want you to ask, I want you to ask yourself today, is that actually at the forefront of your mind? Or have you started in this world to start to picture us as, you know, one day attaining perfection ourselves through development? Or perhaps on the flip side, you've started to think, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about it now, but we're slowly on this descent, on this decline, that one day, I guess, it'll all just disappear and be gone. Because neither of those things are what uh, Scripture tells us. And the third question, which leads on from that, how does Christ's return shape my life now? You see, I've met plenty of Christians who, when they think about Christ's return, they spend their time um, trying to work out when it's going to happen. They watch uh, the, the news and they try to line up things that are happening overseas or perhaps in our own uh, country with what uh, the book of Revelation says and um, predict, you know, are we in the age where Christ's going to return soon? Is it imminent? 
It's so easy to get caught in those conversations. And, and by all means, we should know scripture. We should read scripture. We should ask questions about it. We should uh, get read hard books like the book of Revelation and, and grapple with those things. But that can't be our only response. In fact, when the disciples start talking to Jesus about this in Matthew 24, he pretty much puts a stop to it. And he says, you're not going to know. You won't know the hour or the day um, of, of, of my second coming. In fact, only the Father knows that. But instead, live differently. Instead, live with what is in front of you. Live faithfully and serve me. And so I'd encourage you today is does the knowledge of Christ's uh, second coming, does that propel you into a different way of living? Because this is the message of the book of James, isn't it? That knowing uh, the truth of God's word is more than just holding it in our heads, but is actually letting it transform our hearts. And so I'd encourage you, do you let that transform your life? Do you have a sense of urgency of not knowing when this will occur, of knowing that at some point that Christ will return? Does that give you a sense of urgency to reach your family and your friends for Christ? Does it give you a sense of fervency in your prayer to believe for them to come to know him? Are you looking actively for opportunities to serve Christ, to step into the things that he has prepared in advance for you to do? Because when we know God's word, we need to let it transform our hearts. We need to let it shape the way that we live and it can shape our response to injustice. Let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that um, we can respond differently. Lord, that in the midst of great injustice, there is great hope because you do promise, Lord Jesus, that you will return and that in your return, that you will make all things new, that we will be restored to you. But Father, also that you will um, call each one of us to account that those who are um, pursuing injustice, those who are uh, are crushing and crawling others. Lord God, that they will be held to account before the holy, the righteous and the perfect judge. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live transformed lives. Lord, that when we face injustice, Lord, that we would endure it with patience, confident in the hope that comes from you. We pray this in your name. Amen.